You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. No one knows what it's like to be the sad man, to be the Bears fan behind this stash. And no one knows what it's like to keep believing when our team's stinking and we're the butt of jokes. But my dreams, they aren't as empty as the scoreboard seems to be. I thought we finally had our QB, but we are heading to O and Tree. <laughs> the Bears. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So if you couldn't tell, that's going to be how it's going to go. Look, Packers lost. Not great, but guess what? So do the Bears, so do the Vikings, so do the Lions, and we're going to enjoy that. That's just how it goes. Um, speaking of, let's get into some news and notes here. Uh, I don't have any real updates on any injuries, uh, aside from, I guess, David Bakhtiari. We, we got maybe kind of some clarity on this. Let me give you everything I know. Here, here is an article written by Bill Huber over at uh, Fan Nation, Packer Central, Sports Illustrated, whatever you want to call it. It's got a billion different titles. It says, Rashid Walker got news right from the horse's mouth on Saturday night. David Bakhtiari, the five-time All-Pro left tackle, would not be playing on Sunday against the Falcons. Quote, I found out Saturday night that I was officially starting, Walker said on, mon- on uh, Monday, a day after the 25-24 loss to the Falcons. I've been taking first-team reps in practice, he added. Bach told me that he wasn't going to be able to go Saturday. I was ready to go. Now, obviously, he's taking first-string reps because Bakhtiari hasn't really been to practice much. But the second part where he says, Bach told me he wasn't going to be able to go Saturday. I was ready to go. Again, assuming this is verbatim exactly what was said, I mean, Bakhtiari at least is making it seem to Walker that he's being shut down. So if there was some kind of a big holdout, he's keeping it a secret from everybody. But then we get further clarification. Later Monday afternoon, Coach Matt LaFleur said Bakhtiari's knee is injured and there was swelling. Goes on to say, so as uh, at least as Lafleur explained it, Bakhtiari's absence on Sunday had nothing to do with in the game being played on artificial turf, uh, playing surface that has drawn the ire of veterans across the league, including Bakhtiari earlier in the week. Now, again, still very annoyed with the way he answers the question. I have a feeling, and if I can just try to guess as to what exactly is going on, he's so annoyed by the simple speculation of it that it that it comes out as righteous indignation. And it's sort of, I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. But all we hear is, bro, you're telling me that it actually was a holdout? That he did just protest? That's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's not doing what I think you want it to do. Beyond that, again, even the way he answered it, even though I'm going to take this at face value, make no mistake, I'm taking it for what it is. He says he was injured. It is what it is. The way he answered it, his knee is injured. No kidding. It's been injured all year. There's swelling. Okay, is that new? Is this new swelling? Is it, like, is this a new thing, or has this happened all year? I don't know. He was asked further, if this game was played in Lambeau, would David Bakhtiari have played? He said, I don't believe so. Now, again, I, I have a feeling this is just him being frustrated. Like, I don't know. Eh, eh, stupid. Stupid question. But, I mean, there, there are a lot of better ways to answer this question. If, in fact, it's all just nonsense, just, 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 of, of course he would have been out if it was in Lambeau. He's hurt. The guy's injured. What a ridiculous question. But he won't do that. It's like, yeah, well, I, I, maybe, I don't, I don't know. And then he goes on to say, I'm done talking about it. I'm not going to talk about this anymore, which just is such a weird thing. Why are you doing that? But whatever, again, for all intents and purposes, the question has been answered. The guy's injured. As much as that's a great thing, when you sit and think about it for half a second, you realize, oh, wait, that's not good. First of all, the biggest 
very clear issue is that uh, assuming there isn't some kind of a new injury that occurred, this is still the same issue that he's had from an injury that occurred many, many years ago. And the whole issue, even after, so he went out in what, 2020, right? Then he misses all of 2021. Some speculation that he'd be back like week one, like always happens. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. It's going to take some time. Like, okay, fine. And then he just didn't come back and he didn't come back and he didn't come back. And then they, we come to find out that they were trying to get him to come back, but his knee kept swelling and there was a bunch of fluid in his knee and it was all causing all these kinds of problems. And then we decided that we would try it out at the end of the 2021 season. He really jacks up his knee. His knee balloons up like a, well, like a balloon. And then he can't go in the playoffs. And he needs to go back in for surgery again. Because this is not right. Like, this is not supposed to happen. And so, I guess I stupidly assumed that after that surgery... Like, I understand being cautious. And that's what I thought this was. Like, we, we don't need him to participate much in the preseason. Right? He doesn't need to participate in this stuff. We don't really need him to practice. It's a cost-benefit analysis thing, right? At his age, with his his issues and his experience, it makes more sense to risk him being a little bit rusty and healthy as opposed to risking his health and, and trying to get him a little bit more caught up to speed. That's fine. But now it sounds like that's not exactly the case. He's actually been having like knee pain and there's some issues and it, it, whatever the issue was in 2021 that caused him to not play seemingly i don't know but we're talking about uh, injury and swelling which was the whole issue before when he couldn't get on the field because it was constantly swelling it was constantly filling with fluid i mean it it, it really and it's funny because it's like people said this and i was like no just stop like should we just move on from bakhtiari like no you don't move on from bakhtiari because he hurt his knee like just it, let him heal he'll be fine and this was like the nightmare scenario that everybody kept bringing up and i'm like why do we why do we have to go there automatically but here we are in 2023 and it seems like his knee is just never really fully healed. And the reason they're holding him out isn't just, you know, precautionary. It's that there's actual issues going on. And as far as I know, he didn't take any hit to the knee, nothing. It's just, it's just the act of playing football has caused his knee to swell. So he played one week, his knee swelled up, and he can't play week two. That's, that's a little scary. Now, I don't want to jump to conclusions again. You know, we jump to conclusions about maybe he's holding out. I don't want to jump too far in the other direction. For all I know, he actually is holding out. And this whole thing is, a, I, I don't know. But I'm just trying to, again, look at the information in front of me. And I have to assume this is not necessarily great news. Now, I have no real reason to believe he won't play this upcoming week. But I didn't really have any reason to believe he wouldn't play in week two either. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And all we get from the head coaches, I'm not talking about it. Don't ask me that. Which seems unnecessarily harsh for a very reasonable question. But he's, for some reason, really ticked off about anything pertaining to David Bakhtiari. I don't know. It honestly reminds me a little bit of how things were with Aaron Rodgers before, where it was just like, leave it alone. Don't ask me. Don't talk about it. And it's just, I, I don't know. I, w I wish we could, but I guess, I guess we can't. Can't talk about injuries. I mean, not to David Bakhtiari. Anybody else, fine. Not Bakhtiari, though. Talked about Elton Jenkins extensively, about him and everything else. So, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I guess we'll take it as, as some level of closure, although I feel like I have more questions now than I did before, because now we're talking about an injury and I don't know what happened. Again, I would just love something from the head coach, either, yes, he sat out because of the turf, or no, he didn't, he sustained a new injury, or, you know, it's just some soreness, we expect him to be okay. You know, g give me something, man. I don't know. It's just, I don't know why he's being like that. LaFleur went on to say, I think that's kind of the nature of the beast, and he'll probably be questionable all year. Which, again, I, I guess I misinterpreted. Uh, I mean, I assumed he would be that status kind of all year, too, but not because there was something serious going on. But it's starting to seem as though it is actually quite serious. And maybe that's why Matt LaFleur is being kind of touchy about it, because it is a very unfortunate situation. He's not super happy about it, and he doesn't want to talk about it. Like, maybe, I mean, legitimately, we may not see Bakhtiari for even half the year. I, I, he, I, he may be done for the I don't, I don't, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He says, I'm not going to get into that. We all know this is two years now. I'm not going to get into it. Well, is it, though? Because I don't feel like we had this issue last year. So what is, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. I guess, I guess... What Matt LaFleur wants is what Matt LaFleur is going to get. And what Matt LaFleur wants is for us to just shut up and wait and see. Just I, You'll find out. He might be out for six weeks, and, and every week is just going to be wait and see. And we're going to just expect him to play, and then he doesn't. And it's like, what the heck happened? And then Matt LaFleur is going to give you an attitude. 
They'd be like, we, we've been over this. We, you, two years now, you know. You, you know. No, I don't know. I don't know. That's why we're asking you the question. I don't know. But okay, sure, I know. Um, in other injury news, Lions star Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is feared to have suffered a potential season-ending t- uh, torn peck in yesterday's loss to the Seahawks. That's obviously pretty serious news for the Detroit Lions. I've always mentioned Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is a very overrated commodity, always kind of has been, but um, he's not a bad player. He's a he's a solid floor setter. He's been actually off to a really good start for the Detroit Lions. Uh, he has a 70.7 PFF grade so far. Four targets, three receptions, 41 yards, and two pass breakups already for the team. I would assume that means Tracy Walker is going to be right back in his old spot. Um, he was a safety there for a while. I'm guessing that's what he's going to go right back to. He's, I, I don't know that there'll be a ton of drop-off, but something to keep an eye on moving forward. Obviously not ideal for them. Anyways, it's been long enough to not uh, make fun of the Bears, so here you go. And I don't even know where to f***ing start with this franchise, bro. Like... The GM, like Ryan Poles, I still got like faith in you, but that's about it. I can't trust this head coach. You're the defensive head coach, and you give a 400 yards in this game to Baker Mayfield. Luke Getzey, let's talk about him, bro. Do you know anything other than screen? This isn't Madden. You ran a screen in your own fucking end zone. Fireball offense. The trenches. I talked about this last week. Dogs pressures we had i think we had like one pressure we had a couple sacks which unique missed and then on the other side of the line fields got hit like 12 times or some shit like that some crazy shit six sacks of course some of those are on him which is a perfect transition to our quarterback bro i don't know what to fucking do with you when you rip the ball bro you throw dots and dimes but you be sitting there scared for your life on what decision to make just make one pass to who is open it's not that hard yeah I don't fucking know. This team right now, how it's been playing, we may not win a motherfucking game, bro. We could go 0-16. I'm not even kidding. Normally, I don't get this crazy or hop off the bandwagon or shit like that, but we are complete dog shit. After two weeks, I have no faith in anything that's related to this fucking team. <sighs> and to think, I got to go watch more of these games? Well, if you want to hear more about this shit, the podcast will be coming out. We'll be probably going live in like an hour or so, but this, bro no idea what the guy's podcast is or i'd tell you but all right why don't we take a break right here we'll come back we'll see what pff had to say i don't want to spend a ton of time on it because honestly there's not a lot of good in there but uh that's what we'll do uh please remember to check out old southern barbecue at oldsouthernbbq.com they got award-winning sauces and rubs seasoning spices whatever you want to call it real excited to see all the people sending me all the pictures and everything about uh the orders absolutely love it i'm glad you guys are enjoying it if you haven't yet please just check it out see if there's anything that you like if you have any questions, feel free to reach out and I will let you know. And anything with, you know, spiciness, flavor, whatever, I'll make sure you get hooked up with the right stuff. Remember to use Packernet 15, capital P, capital N, Packernet 15 to get 15% off your order. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. 
Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, taking a look at the uh, PFF. I'll tell you what, I always do this wrong. Why don't we start with special teams? Because that's what matters the least. Um, unfortunately, not a lot to glean from it. No real positives. We usually have a bunch. That's one of the calling cards of our uh, special teams lately is we got a bunch of guys in the 70s, whatever. Really just two guys stand out positively. Carrington Valentine with a 67.7. Jonathan Owens with a 67.8. Um, on the negative side, it was really just Kingsley and Igbare standing out by himself. Um, as far as production, though, interestingly enough, Jonathan Owens, uh, only three tackles. Two of them were Jonathan Owens. One of them was Kingsley. Um, I think the reason he had the negative grade was because of a penalty, which obviously is very costly, but, you know, he also represented 33% of all of our tackles. So, uh, missed tackles. We had uh, Innes Gaines had the only missed tackle, but he also had the only assisted tackle. So he, I guess, averaged out to exactly zero. I feel like that should be a little bit more negative. Whatever. Not my system. Kick returns, all very average. Keyshawn Nixon was actually below average on his two kick returns. He's trying to take it out from deep. Uh, didn't obviously do that, but 55 yards on two returns, 30 was his long, 27.5 average. I mean, that's really not bad. And then uh, the only punt return, Jaden Reed had a 60 grade, and it was just one fair catch. 60.1. I guess you get a point one for not dropping it. <laughs> All right, let's get to the offense. And this is going to be two weeks in a row where I think a lot of people are looking cross-eyed at PFF and some of the grades, but we're just going to go through it anyways. I, uh, I, I will speculate as to what exactly the situation is, but um it's not good it's really not only two players had a 70 grade or higher on the offense only nine out of 20 were average or better that is to say 11 out of 20 had negative grades so from best to worst in a negative sense emmanuel wilson 59 zach tom 59 jordan love 59 and again I uh, we'll get into it, but I think it's a very similar to performance to last year or last week. There was a lot of good, but then you had the missed passes, one of which Matt Lafleur clarified seemed to be on the wide receiver and not Jordan Love, and then also the turnover-worthy plays. I mean, again, you hit a guy on the chest on top of not having big-time throws, which I saw. I think it was Peter Bukowski was arguing with somebody, basically saying, you know, if you're throwing into tight window passes, that should be a big-time throw. Again, these aren't my metrics whatever. Maybe I'll go back and watch Jordan Love and kind of do like a mini, if I were to grade, how would I have viewed the performance kind of thing? That might be kind of fun thing to do this week. But I, I think generally it's fair. I think in both cases, I probably just off the top of my head would have had him more positive than negative. I would have guessed he was probably low 70s, high 60s. And instead he's like 59, which seems not exactly correct, but it is what it is. Uh, Tucker Craft 59, Rashid Walker, 57, John Runyon, 56, Ben Sims, 55, Royce Newman, 52, Malik Heath, 51, Patrick Taylor, 50, and Josiah DeGuara, 41. Um, as sad as it makes me, although we kind of knew this when we drafted two tight ends, oh my goodness, that was an unbelievable catch. Freaking Olave. It might be time to uh, old yeller Josiah DeGuara. Makes me sad. But, I mean, Musgrave has come in and is a significant upgrade immediately. And Josiah, you know, it, it's a matter of, like, I get it. I could see why it sort of made sense at the time. I don't see us utilizing him in those ways, maybe because he's incapable or it's just not a thing. And then when he gets the ball, it's kind of like, you know. I mean, last year he did some stuff where I was like, dude, he looks pretty good when he catches it. And then this year, the, the one or two times he's caught it, it's like, is that it? That's all you got? Okay. So, you know, whatever. Anyways, um, on the mediocre side, I'm not even going to say positive, Elton Jenkins, 64, not good enough, also injured. Samore Ture, 65. Romeo Dobbs, 65. Yash Nyman, 66. Luke Musgrave, 66. A.J. Dillon, 66. And Josh Myers, 67. Now, as much as you can look at that and say, hey, Josh Myers took a step, and da, 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 it's not good enough. None of that is good enough. I mean, if, if you're a team that says, all right, we want to be a championship caliber team, I'm sorry, I'm not going to look at Josh Myers and say, hey, 67, good job, bud. 
Or A.J. Dillon, for that matter. Like, yeah, it's a step. It's, a, it's better than week one. For both of those guys, Dillon and Myers, this is supposed to be like your breakout year. Right? I mean, this is year three. You know, you took a step. Like, come on, man. I need something. Like, show me something big. Show me that you got this figured out. You're in command of the offense. And it's like, oh, I suck now. Like, <laughs> what? What do you, Don't do that. Don't go that way. That ain't going to cut it. We'll get into the specifics of those grades. Then we get to the only two good players. And I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. This really kind of ticks me off. Second best grade, Duntavian Wicks, 75. Jaden Reed, 83. No, I'm not angry at how good they did. What makes me angry is, why do we have rookies dragging this team around? That shouldn't be a thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm happy. I'm glad that we got a guy like Jaden Reed who can step up. That was the whole question, right? Now that we don't have uh, Christian Watson and Aaron Jones, can somebody else step up? Boom, here comes Jaden Reed. Bang, here comes Duntavian Wicks. Well done. That's what I was asking for. But you know what? To everybody else who didn't step up, what the heck is that? Again, how does Dylan not step up? You're the guy. How does Josh Myers not step up in that moment? I'm not going to dog Romeo Dobbs because he was a big part of week one. Where was Elton Jenkins? Again, he's injured, probably going to be for a while, but, you know, kind of an important opportunity for you to step up and be that guy that you're getting paid to be. Now, Zach Tom takes a big step back. They don't have edge rushers. Remember, we talked about it. They have no edge rushers. Why is Zach Tom not playing well? John Runyon. Come on, man. Remember, you're, you are a great pass blocker, a terrible run blocker. 61 pass blocking grade? That's bull crap. I mean, we don't have a lot of veterans, but to, to the guys that have a little bit of experience, I mean, we need people to step up and, and just, we're, we're going to lean on two rookies. Okay, all right. I guess, I guess that's what we'll do. Uh, looking a little bit deeper into the passing stuff, um, 56% completion percentage is not good. Adjusted completion percentage goes up to 60, uh, 60.9. That's still not good. Now, again, this isn't all his fault, but those are low numbers. I mean, just flat out. 151 passing yards. That's, that's low. I mean, it's low attempts, and, it's, and, and you know, when your completion percentages are low, it's, it's, it's going to mean low yard, but that's what, what we need is don't miss so many throws, and then you'll have more yards, and that would be great. Touchdowns are great, but what I'm, what I'm pleading with you to understand is that this touchdown rate, in other words, how many touchdowns does he, does he throw per pass or how many passes per until he gets a touchdown, wildly unsustainable. So we can't lean on that as being like a thing. We need what we need is for the rest of things to catch up. We need the completion percentages to get up. We need some of that stuff to get better. Big time throw he did have one, 3.7%. Turnover worthy play he had one, 3.4%. Uh, time to throw 247 is completely fine. 113.5 passer rating obviously is solid. Then when you look at uh, pressure and depth, I mean it depends how you look at it. On one hand, under pressure he actually didn't look terrible. He had a 55.9 overall grade and a 56.1 passing grade. I mean, that's basically what his overall grade was anyways. And compared to other people, I mean, that's that's a pretty standard under pressure grade as opposed to being horrific. But then while kept clean, he had a 59.7 passing grade, which is not what you want. The other issue is, as I said coming into this, it's the deep passing. I said that coming into the season. Now understand, everybody has almost a borderline elite passing grade when you're talking about deep passes. Right? It's just it's just like automatic because there's so many yards and everything else that go into it. You're, you're going to have a really good grade. Here are his grades. Behind the line of scrimmage, he has a 63.5 grade. Short passes, he has a 50 passing grade, which is kind of crazy because those are relatively easy passes. I, th- I, I can only assume it's because of that turnover-worthy play. I mean, he's 10 of 13 for 94 yards and a touchdown with a turnover-worthy play. Medium, 10 to 19 yards is where he's making his money, according to PFF. He has a 76 passing grade. Then on deep passes, 58. He was 0 for 3 with a big-time throw, which, I mean, essentially would mean, for, for all intents and purposes, from a grading standpoint, that would be 1 of 3. So I don't know why the grade would be so bad, but whatever. It means there was a drop in there. But, I mean, it's, it's, it was a concern coming in. It remains a concern. We got to see that start to get figured out. So am I happy with the performance? Yeah. I mean, it... Where, considering where he is, considering what the floor was and how bad this could have been, things have gone better than my, he has exceeded my expectations. There are a lot of things that I think he is, I mean, I know for a fact he is one of the best in the NFL at, at numerous metrics. He is number one across the NFL, top five in a lot of metrics, but he's also bottom in the NFL and a couple others. So he's a bit of an enigma. 
and we need to get some of that kind of sorted out. I'm not, I'm not panicking yet. Everything seems fine, but you know, like it's, it's just stuff that just needs to get fixed. Uh, I'm going to skip down to the blocking. I don't really care about the rest of the stuff. Um, let's start with Rashid Walker. So Rashid Walker got pulled pretty early because things were starting off to a rough start. However, he ended on a decent note, as long as you don't give a single crap about run blocking, which this entire team does not, which is staggering to me. And I'm sure Matt LaFleur is ripping his hair out, but that's the team he's been handed. Um, Rashid Walker, 75 passing grade, 53 run blocking grade. Yash Nyman came in for 11 snaps, 79 pass blocking grade, 62 um, run blocking grade. So it is what it is. Both of them on the left side did a great job pass blocking. Rashid gave up one hurry, that's it. Um, and neither of them was able to do anything from a run blocking standpoint, period. At left guard, Royce Newman actually performed better than Elton Jenkins did as a pass blocker, which is not because Royce had a great day. It's just that Elton struggled that much, which is slightly disappointing. Elton Jenkins had a 68.6 pass blocking grade and a 62.3 pass uh, run blocking grade. He goes out. Royce Newman comes in, has a 69.1 pass blocking grade and a 47.9 run blocking grade. So the pass blocking was never really good. And the run blocking was also not very good. Then Elton Jenkins goes out, the pass blocking stays not super good, and then the run blocking just goes to zero. So that's just wonderful. Then my buddy Josh Myers, who I have been ruthlessly defending this entire offseason because, guys, really, seriously, he's actually a good pass blocker. Guys, listen, trust me, he took a big step from year one to year two. Guys, you got you to believe me. Josh Myers, like, no, 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 we don't want to cut him. No, you guys are crazy. No, come on, you don't want to do that. Through two weeks, has a 68 pass blocking grade and a 48 run blocking grade. So that's great, Josh. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're great. Thank you so much. Aw, you're a gem. <sighs> 67.5 pass blocking in week one, 67 in week two. He has been... You know, not super good at pass blocking. And, um, you know, say what you want about the, uh, the the folks that they have in Atlanta. I, I, I don't know how that you can make an excuse for playing Chicago and performing that way. Plus, yes, Atlanta has some good defensive tackles. So does, like, at least half the league. Like, have a guy. Good centers can handle it. That's the point. Not every time, but it's not like, well, I, I'm really good as long as the guy is over there suck. Except the Bears who suck. I can't I can't stop them. Or almost anybody else that sucks. But like some guys that super suck, I could probably handle that. Like, uh, come on, man. This is, honestly, this is the same thought I had about the defense. Because I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, if we play a team that like, I mean, if they have a really good offensive line, we might struggle. And if they have a quarterback that can move, we might struggle. But if you have like a subpar offensive line and like a, uh, an immobile quarterback, we might be okay. Like, <laughs> You're not descri describing a good defense. You're describing a really crappy defense. <laughs> if you have to put those caveats in there. That's how I feel with Josh Myers right now. Like, he's good as long as, like, you know, he's going up against a really bad defensive line, then maybe he might be okay. I mean, come on, come on, man. You know, I mean, we have so many things to be worried about. We come into this, and it's like, look, I'm not worried about the D. They'll handle their business. I know this offensive line is good. They're going to handle their business. I know the running backs are going to be solid. It's just a question of, can Jordan Love and these receivers do something? Through two weeks, Jordan Love and the receivers are the only people I trust right now. A.J. Dillon can't do anything. The offensive line decided they don't care anymore. The defense, after one week, gave up. The F are we doing? No, I, I mean, it's Green Bay. Let's just put the team on the quarterback's back. Jordan Love can do it all, and then we'll have some wide receivers come in and, and I'll find, like, a new Devontae. And, yeah, we're just we're going to win that way. Defense will just ride the coattails of the quarterback-wide receiver combo. That's just what we'll do. Frickin' insane to me they need your help josh your quarterback needs help speaking of john runyon another guy one of the best pass blocking guards in football remember how many times i've said that he's so good at pass blocking and and as i've said we can we, we can tolerate bad run blocking as long as you remain a premier pass blocker you have to though because as soon as you dip Things change immediately, because if you go from great pass blocker and bad run blocker to bad pass blocker and bad run blocker, you go bye-bye. Week one, John Runyon against a horrific defensive line had a 68 pass blocking grade. That's garbage. Then against Atlanta, he has a 61 pass blocking grade. He currently has a 65.6 pass blocking grade and a 56.7 run blocking grade. This is the first time we've had this offensive line altogether. 
They practiced all offseason. They're ready to go. Like, we've never had this situation. They're usually flip-flopping around, and we're dealing with injuries, and we got all this stuff. First time they come out of the gate, they're healthy. They've been practicing. Same front five all, all season long. This is the, the, the worst offensive line we've seen. And then David Bakhtiari's out, and then Elton Jenkins is out, and Josh Myers can't block, and John Runyon can't block. Oh, and Zach Tom forgot how to block. Oh, great. So we don't have an offensive line anymore. Anyways, actually, Zach Tom, he at least held up as a pass blocker. The run blocking went to zero, 43.6, but a 79.2 pass blocking grade. So the tackles held up. The interior guys, which again, they had a rough interior, I get it, blah, 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 suck it up and deal with it, um, struggled. But listen... The two guys, John Runyon, Josh Myers, like you guys have such a big target on your back, especially Myers. But I mean, Runyon's kind of flying under the radar because of Myers and the in the amount of fire that he's taking right now. Runyon's in the exact same boat. If you suddenly struggle to pass block, I mean, you don't have a purpose. So it's early. I'll grant you that. But this is kind of what you do, dog. It's been two weeks. You're a good pass blocker. What happened to that? Bakhtiari can do it. Zach Tom can do it. Apparently, Rashid Walker and Yash Nyman can do it. Why did you forget? Not saying. I'm just saying. By the way, worth noting uh, that you can take this as a positive or a negative. Our second highest graded run blocker on the team right now is Luke Musgrave. His run blocking grade is a 65.8. The only one that was higher is Josh Myers. Yes, Josh Myers is the highest run blocking grade on the team. (laughs) What universe am I living in right now? This is some kind of weird parallel universe. But hey, kudos to Luke Musgrave for getting in there and getting the job done. Sorta. Lowest run blocking grade? Josiah DeGuara. Kind of an important role for our, you know, fullback. All right, flip over to defense here. About 50-50, half the team was average to good. The other half was below average to bad. We'll start with the bad uh, from best bad to worst bad. TJ Slayton, 59, Rudy Ford, 55, Jair, 55. I saw um, Andy Herman does his grades. He said this is the lowest grade he's ever given Jair Alexander, so that's encouraging. You love to see that, don't you? And again, you sit here and you just go, you know, I, I, I can accept that this is not our year. But that comes with a caveat. That comes with a caveat that says, listen, this is not our year because... The quarterback, it's his, it's his first year as a starter. And um, the, the, the pass-catching group is really, really young. Oh, and like injuries and stuff like that. Like, for those reasons. Not for the reasons like Jair's playing his worst football. That kind of stuff I can't really accept. Or, or the offensive line, or at least a couple people therein, decide they don't want to do it anymore. Or A.J. Dillon just kind of bottomed out and just doesn't feel like being a running back anymore. Those are the reasons I can't really accept, necessarily. If we're actually making progress, if we're actually looking like a good team, but some guys, it's just like, nah, I don't really feel like it. I don't really feel like it. And by the way, that's a perfect way to describe it, because a big part of Jair Alexander's problem in this game, aside from, you know, coverage and things, refusing to tackle. Just didn't feel like it. Just didn't feel like tackling. Week one, I said Keyshawn Nixon drove me nuts because he didn't feel like tackling. Now we got, it's, apparently that's a virus. Now it's spread to Jair. Just just didn't feel like it. Okay, great. Anyways, continuing. Kingsley and Igbare, tons of hype for him. He's not been the greatest. 51 grade. Darnell Savage back to his old tricks at a 50. Carl Brooks down to a 48. Devontae Wyatt back to, uh, again, another guy. He had a great week one, and then it's like, here we go, Devontae Wyatt. Then it's, oh, no, back to that sucks again. Isaiah McDuffie with a 38, and Colby Wooden with a 36. So there's our defensive line. Colby Wooden, Devontae Wyatt, Carl Brooks, Three out of the bottom four. The only guy that's worth worse, or the only guy mixed in there that isn't on the defensive line is our backup linebacker that came in for two snaps, Isaiah McDuffie. Remove him from the equation, and our bottom three, Colby Wooden, Devontae Wyatt, Carl Brooks. You can make excuses like, well, they're young, and da-da-da-da. And granted, it was run defense, at least for Wyatt and Wooden. It's a very good rushing team and all that stuff. It still sucks, though. Still not my favorite thing. On the average side of things, Carrington Valentine played two snaps, had a 61. Rashawn Gary with a 65. You really uh, would like to see better than that. His snap counts, I think, took a little bit of an uptick. Um, Didn't really produce. Again, though, pass rush was on point. It was a run defense. We'll get into the breakdowns in a little bit. Kenny Clark had a 65. Again, pass rush was elite, but the run defense was putrid. 
Devondre Campbell with a 67, Razul Douglas with a 68, Keyshawn Nixon with a 69, Preston Smith with a 69. Then our three good grades, which could not be any lower as far as good goes, Lucas Van Ness, Justin Hollins, Quay Walker. Again, may I interject? I'm okay saying this isn't our year, provided that it's because of guys like Lucas Van Ness not being ready, Quay's still a little bit young. We got a lot of first and second year guys. What I don't like is when we're leaning on guys that two years ago, none of these three guys were there. Last year, we we brought in Justin Hollins like at the back half of the, the season. Quay Walker was a rookie and Lucas Van Ness was playing in college. What we need are guys like Jair to step up. We need guys like Rashawn and like Kenny and like Devondre and, and like Savage. And yeah, probably probably Wyatt at some point. But again, it's, it's, it's the veterans. These are the guys, you know, if, if, you're, if, if you guys are on it, but we're not quite there because, you know, Quay isn't quite there, Wyatt's not quite there. You know, it's, it's scary for the draft class. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? They're growing. They'll get there. It's just not going to be this year. That's not the case. Not a single veteran stepped up in this game. Not one. Quay Walker, Lucas Van Ness. I mean, out of the five guys that stepped up, three of them are rookies. One of them is a second-year guy, and Justin Hollins was brought in here last year. We can't have the... I mean, I'm not complaining about the rookies, I'm glad, but we can't have the rookies being the only guys kind of putting forth the effort here. Anyways, run defense, the only positive grade was Justin Hollins. Negative, we had, uh, let's see, TJ Slayton, Kingsley Anigbare, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, Devontae Wyatt, Darnell Savage, and Colby Wooden. Those are all, by the way, just in the 40s and 30s and 20s. I didn't even count the 50s. Tackling, uh, the bad grades come from Darnell Savage, Kingsley Anigbare, Jair Alexander, TJ Slayton, and Colby Wooden. We did have quite a few positives, though. In the 70s, you had Wyatt, Nixon, Lucas Van Ness, Rashawn Gary, Justin Hollins, Kenny Clark. Then sort of in the next tier, Razul Douglas, Devondre Campbell, Rudy Walker, and then uh, Rudy Ford and Quay Walker as the top dog. Pass rush grades, um, nothing abysmal, but low 50s. We had Kingsley and Igbare. Second week in a row, he hasn't really shown up as a pass rusher. Carl Brooks was down um, with a 52 grade, and Justin Hollins had a 52 grade also. Positive side, and by the way, we again, we usually don't have really high pass rush grades. The statistics will be there, not the grades. I think the grades, again, sort of indicate consistency as opposed to statistics, which are just kind of flash in the pan. So four guys with, with quite good grades. Colby Wooden, 72. TJ Slayton, 75. Rashawn Gary, 77.7. And Kenny Clark with an 80.3. And then coverage, the only one down in the 50s, Rudy Ford, 55. And Jair, 53. I mean, you can't have your star corner as the worst coverage guy. I understand he's got the toughest assignment. That's that's the point. That's your job, dude. I mean, you think we're sitting here with Sauce Gardner like, well, it was hard. You think Darrell Revis is like, well, I mean, he's good, but I mean, come on, that was tough. That's a tough assignment. I don't think so. You know, it's like Clayton and um, Jacob did their uh, live stream yesterday and made the point, just because they're first-round picks doesn't mean they're good. Now, I, I, I know Jair is a good football player, but it's true. Just because you're a first-round pick doesn't make you good at anything. Jair's a first-round pick, and he did not play like one in this game. And you can't have that. Rashawn Gary's a first-round pick, and he played like it. Assume you only care about pass rush. But if you want him to set an edge, well, he's more of a mid-round pick, maybe. Devontae Wyatt's a first-round pick. He ain't playing like it. Kenny Clark's a first-round pick. He can't stop the run. Darnell Savage is a first-round pick. He didn't play like it. We got a lot of first-round picks, but nobody seems to want to step up and act like it. And again, the only reason I put stock in it is because I know how talented they are. I mean, there's first-round picks that are busts. That isn't these guys. But we got to stop having these days where guys just disappear. We can't do this stuff, man. We can't have this. Everybody has a bad day once in a while, but to see the entire defense just not show up, that's a problem, man. That's a problem. And, and again, I don't want to get into, I'm, I'm over talking about the who's to blame. And yes, you can, you can blame Joe Barry. You can blame the, the culture. You can blame the, the energy. Maybe that's a Matt LaFleur thing that the, the, the team in general wasn't ready to show up. I don't care. The, the point is we got to fix it, dude. It's not my job to fig, figure out what the problem is and fix it. Ultimately, it's Matt LaFleur's job. Figure it out. What is the problem? If it's a player problem, you got to go to Goot and be like, this, this ain't working. This guy sucks. I'm sorry. He sucks. And then we got to go do something. If it's a Barry problem, you got to fire Barry. If it's a culture problem, you got to you got to get in there and talk to your leaders. Whatever it is, you got to fix this. 
it's just disappointing because, you know, there's so much positive here. I mean, Quay's playing really, really well. And the pass rush, honestly, is still cooking, man. Okay, let's get into some of the stats here. Kenny Clark, six pressures on 35 attempts. Come on, baby. I mean, we had 25 pressures again. That's really high. I remember we had 36 last week, and I went back and looked at it trying to find if we ever had 36 before. You know what our highest was? 29. We had 25 in this game. We've got pass rush. We just don't seem to have anything else. And maybe that's that's Joe Barry just like, all right, let's let's just dial up the pass rush. And like we haven't figured out a a, a plan B or or like a pass rush and what? Like, I don't know. Like hopefully they get home. Like I I don't I don't know. But Kenny Clark right now has 10 pressures on 60 attempts through two games and two sacks. The the run defense is a 51.8. The tackling is a 52.4. The pass rush is an 83.2. I'm, I'm beyond thrilled. Don't get me wrong. Kenny, don't stop a single thing, man. I love it. Keep that pressure. Keep coming. It's going to pay off. I get it. But we got to step it up a little bit. Now, granted, he hasn't had a good tackling grade since 2017. He hasn't had a good run defense grade since 2020. He's exclusively been a pass rusher. But you know what? I... I freaking what, what what do I know? What do I care? It just it is what it is. I guess I'm happy with it. It's awesome. The pass rush is great. I don't know what to say. Again, I it it, it seemed to me coming into this that like Brian Gutekunst said I don't care about the run. Let's just get pressure. It seems like that's working in terms of like that plan. In terms of like that plan materializing into good defense. I don't know that that's necessarily working. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited about it. I am. I love pass rush, and we seem good at it. But we we gotta have a little bit of run defense mixed in. You know, a little coverage would be nice. I'm, I know I'm getting greedy, and I do apologize. Wait a minute. I didn't even notice this. Holy good Lord. Do you know who led, who had number two, the second and most amount of pressures? Quay Walker. He had four pressures on five attempts. We've been talking about this a little bit in terms of sending Quay, and I know last year it seemed like it never worked. Like, we would send Quay, and he just would not get home. Um, but he rushed the passer 66 times last year. Got home 12 times, which seems not bad, but from a linebacking standpoint, it's it's so-so, I guess. But dang, man, five pressures in this game. Let me look last year. Did we ever send them five times? Maybe I was sleeping. Oh, yes, we definitely did. Week three, 11 times. Week four, eight times. Five weeks, seven, seven, eight, five. So one, two, three, four, five or six games we sent them about that many times. But he never had more than... Well, he had three pressures in a game. Oh, three pressures on five attempts. So I guess he had a similar game against Washington. I don't know. I'm, I, I think that's pretty crazy, and I think that's awesome. Four pressures in this game coming from inside linebacker Quay Walker. Anyways, that kind of gets me fired up. I didn't even notice that. Um, Let's see. Devontae Wyatt had three pressures on 27 attempts. That's not anything massively great. It's slightly above 10%, but I'll, I will absolutely take that. Slayton had three pressures on 27 attempts. That's more than adequate for a uh, nose tackle. Rashawn Gary had three pressures on 15 attempts. Obviously, that's where you're going to get your money and a sack from Rashawn. So he dropped from 15% down to, to a paltry 20%, <laughs> but that is still an incredible number. Preston had three pressures on 28 attempts, so still right at about 10%. And by the way, to have this many guys at or above 10% even is really, really impressive. Like, that's that's the point. It's If, if a guy has 10%, it's like, eh. If you have seven guys that are at 10%, that's a very good thing. But then you get to Colby Wooden. He had one on 13 attempts, which is about 10%, I guess. Kingsley and Igbari also had one on 10%, which again, you can't be super mad. It's it's right at 10%. One at 10 attempts, not 10%. Darnell Savage had a pressure on zero attempts, so well done to him. Uh, Lucas Van Ness actually had zero pressures on eight attempts. Carl Brooks had zero pressures on 11 attempts. And then Justin Hollins had zero pressures on 10 attempts. And then again, the two sacks coming by way of Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark. Quay Walker, um, they had him listed at 19 tackles. I think the official number was at 17, which I saw. Let me find it here. This is from um, Hog NFL. Quay Walker set a franchise record on Sunday with the most combined tackles in a regular season game in Packers history. Quay Walker, 17. Behind him is Devondre Campbell in 16. Oh no, 16 and 21. I was like, he wasn't even here in 16. So a couple years ago, Devondre had 16. That tied Blake Martinez, who did it in 19 and 17. Martinez also... (laughs) Martinez is on here like the entire list. 15, 15, 16, 16. Now, I will say, I I am the the smallest fan. (laughs) 
<laughs> the least big fan of tackles as a impressive stat. Not to necessarily take anything away from Quay for, for accumulating a vast majority of the tackles, but the fact of the matter is a lot of tackles happen when you give up a lot of plays. Right? So if your team has a lot of tackles, it probably means your team sucks. Because the other team ran a lot of plays, and it just so happens that plays end in either scores or tackles, most of those being tackles. So Quay Walker was the beneficiary of, number one, being quite good at what he does, but also, number two, the defense sucking. So congrats. Why don't we take uh, one more quick break? We'll be right back and finish this up. Missed tackles. PFF had us at eight missed tackles. Two for Jair, two for Savage, uh, one for Wooden, Enigbare, Slayton, and Preston, and I am shocked that that's all they had. Uh, stops, they actually had 24, which is impressive. Quay Walker had four stops, which is awesome. Preston Smith, three. Then Kingsley, Slayton, Jair, Rashawn, and Devondre each had uh, two. That leaves one for Van Ness, Wyatt, Holland, Savage, Ford, Douglas, and Kenny Clark. And we get into uh, the coverage grades. Most targeted was Razul Douglas, targeted seven times. Five of those were caught for 54 yards. But he also had a pick and a pass breakup, so I would call that a good day for him. Uh, second most targeted was Quay and Jair. Quay, six targets, six receptions, 55 yards, and a pass breakup. Should have been a pick. Not the worst day in the world, but not the best. PFF loved it, though. They gave him a 74 coverage grade, so what do I know? Jair, um, five catches for 99 yards and a touchdown and a pass breakup. Again, should have been a pick. But overall, um, even excusing the dropped interception, which I think I, I probably do more than most people. It, it's just one of those things, like I said, he didn't notice it until it basically hit him in the face, whatever. But it's more the five receptions, 99 yards, and a touchdown with a 158.3 passer rating when targeted. That kind of bothers me more so than anything else. So I think the missed pick slash mis mixed pick six probably has more to do with we would have forgiven all of this had you had just gotten that plus we probably would have won the game so yeah I, I guess that sucks uh then rudy ford four targets zero receptions can't really beat that darnell savage two targets just one reception for 10 yards also can't really beat that Keyshawn nixon one target one reception nine yards no complaints carrington valentine only came in once it was one target or uh, he came in for two plays targeted once no reception Devondre Campbell, just one target, one reception for 10 yards. Also, nothing wrong with that. Preston Smith, one target, zero receptions. Shame on the Falcons for not being able to capitalize on that one. Guy dropped into four, coverage four times. You only targeted him once, and it wasn't complete. You guys suck. You suck. I said it. Anyways, I also want to go through and look at the season long real quick, and we'll end with this. Some of the games are not updated yet, right? I'm watching Monday Night Football as we speak, so Monday's not going to be on here, but... Um, for as many teams as are updated, we got the data. So as of right now, via PFF, lots of other metrics, but here's where we stand. Completion percentage. Jordan Love ranks 30th out of 33 quarterbacks, with just Deshaun Watson, Zach Wilson, and Bryce Young being lower. He is actually below Justin Fields at 55.8. Fields is at 60.6. Passing yards, he ranks 21st between Garoppolo and Dak Prescott. Yards per attempt, he is 8th. Touchdowns, he's tied for number one with uh, Kirk Cousins. Only three quarterbacks have even five touchdowns. He has six, and he's the only one, by the way, that has no interceptions. In fact, there isn't a single quarterback with more than three touchdowns that doesn't have a pick. Justin Herbert, Baker Mayfield, Geno Smith are the only quarterbacks with three touchdowns and no picks. That's it. And that's out of uh, 13 quarterbacks that have at least three. So that's fantastic. Looking at overall PFF grade, he ranks 24th between Josh Dobbs and Russell Wilson. Passing grade is 26th between Joe Burrow and Josh Dobbs. Really weird situation with Joe Burrow. Big time throw percentage, he is tied for 23rd with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Turnover worthy play percentage, uh, he is 20th, tied with Anthony Richardson and Russell Wilson. Average depth of target, he is 5th between Ryan Tannehill and Jalen Hurts. His adjusted completion percentage uh, is actually dead last. He is 33rd out of 33 quarterbacks. So again, we can get pissy about, well, this is stupid, PFF is dumb. It's very easy to see why. And, and again, he's basically getting average grades. I mean, when you're dead last in, in accuracy metrics and you're still considered average, I don't know that you can get super mad at PFF about that. But passer rating, number one. So, I mean, he, he is a complete mystery to me. Um, I, 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 here are my two thoughts on Jordan Love, one positive, one negative in terms of like how to interpret this moving forward, because on one side, you've got sort of the production aspect of things, things like EPA, um, 
adjusted net yards per attempt, things that correlate very highly with um, good quarterbacks in which he is dominant, like basically number one. Then you also have things like CPOE, which generally correlate very highly with good quarterbacks in which he is like dead last, which is which is kind of important too, because it's, it, the metrics themselves don't say this is how you know he's good. It's just these are markers. These are statistical markers that have high correlation to a quarterback being good, but there can be unique situations in which a not super great quarterback can kind of have an anomaly in which they're either really high or really low. On the negative side with Jordan Love, and I've already expressed this, if I had to guess which one is is easier to fix and or, I guess, lose, it's the EPA per, per play thing. Because the fact of the matter is, the guy has scored six touchdowns and has not thrown the ball very much. He has 29 completions and six touchdowns. That's psychotic. Kirk Cousins is the only other one with six touchdowns. You know how many completions he has? 64. And so if the production drops off, if, if he's not getting touchdowns on like every, literally every fifth completion is a touchdown, like literally, but we keep the accuracy where it is, Justin Fields will become one of the lowest graded quarterbacks, lowest metric quarterbacks in the NFL. That's a massive negative, And it's something that does worry me because I don't think the, the, high EPA per play is sustainable. The accuracy is something that can stay where it is, and that sucks. Doesn't have to, but I'm saying it can. I already said this about the third down thing, and it took one week for that to come true. I said it's unlikely that he's going to be this successful on third and fourth down. And the very next week, the passing game was great on first and second down and terrible on third and fourth down. If that continues and we just don't get a bunch of touchdown passes, he goes to, he goes to the bottom of the list. That's the negative side of things. On the positive side of things, if you look at CPOE, obviously, like any of these things, they're not necessarily perfect metrics. Number one is completions. It's, it's completion percent, uh, per, percentage over expected. So they look at it and say, given the situation, the separation, all that stuff, do we expect you to have completed this pass, the distance of the pass, all of that stuff. We look at all these variables, we look at historical data, and we say, what are the odds that you should have completed that? They compare that against what you did. Here's the problem. What happens when receivers run the wrong route? Like what happened with Romeo Dobbs, where according to Matt LaFleur, Jordan threw the ball exactly where it was supposed to go. Romeo did not run there. He ran the wrong way. That is, and I've had many people point this out in terms of CPOE, the receivers can negatively affect that, especially if you have young receivers and and you're still trying to get on the same page with your quarterback. Also, drops will negatively affect CPOE which I'm actually shocked. I think this would be, first of all, a much better metric if they use something like adjusted completion percentage, which takes into account drops. But from what I can tell, it does not. Here's what it takes into account. Field position, down, yards to go, air yards, distance to the sticks, whether possession team is at home, whether the game is played indoors, uh, what era you're in, pass location, and whether the quarterback was hit on the play. So for example, when you have a freaking dime to Dontavian Wicks, I think it was, that hit him right in the hand that ends up getting dropped, that negatively affects his CPOE. Now, granted, the, the expectation might be low, because apparently there's supposed to be something about, um, my understanding anyways, is that it also took into account the uh, separation. I'm not sure. I, I think maybe what that comes from is, um, what is that called? The, the NFL next-gen stats, because they're the only ones that really have that data. In fact, um, Yale reviewed um, completion percentage over expectation, which I, I think, again, there is a correlation there that we can see. So it's a good stat in comparison to a lot of stats, but I think maybe that has more to do with a lot of stats being junk, like yards and just general basic stuff. But they, they kind of nitpick through it. And they, let me just read this paragraph. It's here. It says, um, again, this is Yale Undergraduate Sports Analytics Group by Evan Green, Next Gen Stats, XComp Thoughts. I was excited to see the announcement of expected completion percentage, XComp, but had some concerns about how it was defined. Instead of calculating the percentage of a completion at the time of the throw, it calculates it at the time of the ball getting to the receiver. This difference limits XComp's ability to tell how accurate a quarterback is to an extent. Completion percentage above expectation, XComp plus or minus, is even more diminished by the definition and is more a measure of a receiver's ability to make than a quarterback's ability. And according to this, separation is a part of it, so I don't, you know, whatever. Anyways, the, the point is, even if they would have said that there's a low probability of him completing that, and so it wouldn't have dinged him all that much, what if he had caught it, though? Then he would have completed a pass that had a very low probability of, of completing. You see what I'm saying? So if Wicks just catches that pass, if that touchdown is complete because there wasn't this really good play by a defender, 
if Romeo Dobbs runs the right route and catches that pass, I mean, there's still a couple misses there, but those are three, presumably three really good passes, at least two. According to Matt LaFleur, there's three really good passes that didn't happen on top of the two that got negated by penalties. So I don't want to completely make excuses here, but but I'm, I'm just trying to rec- reconcile two very drastically different things and say which one's real. And again, I've been saying it seems like the one is more real than the other. In, in reality, they're, neither of them is probably real, and they'll probably both come down a little bit or, or come to the center a little bit. As the receivers kind of step up and, and you know Jordan and the receivers get on the same page, presumably some of these things get fixed. But also, you're not going to have a 20% you know, touchdown rate, touchdown per completion rate. But you know, if we assume that it comes to the middle, what does that ultimately mean about Jordan Love? It means we don't know anything about him. But we can rest in what we started with at the beginning of the preseason, which is, hey, I like that he has command of the offense. I like his calm and poise in the pocket. I like that he knows the offense and can get through his progressions and, and knows exactly where to go with the ball. And if you can do those things, and the accuracy increases, we can probably withstand some of the touchdowns coming down. I mean, it's not what we want, but it's going to happen. And still have a good quarterback. With the two caveats, which are the exact same two caveats we had coming into the season, which is his ability under pressure and his ability on the deep ball. So I I say again, I feel like I've learned nothing about Jordan Love. I'm excited because it's nowhere near as bad as it could have been, but I'm still sitting here going, you know, if if you really break down what I think we can take away from all these stats and analytics, is that we don't know anything yet. So that's great. Um, Receiving. Uh, As of last week, Romeo Dobbs, I think, was a relatively top uh, receiver or whatever. Right now, it's Jaden Reed. He has the 21st highest graded receiver based on receiving grade, uh, 28th based on overall grade. But that's, that's pretty cool, man. I mean, if we have anybody in this group that is a top 20 receiver, I mean, I, I would have thought and hoped it was Christian Watson. And it may still be, but uh, not a bad start for Jaden Reed, especially considering the suboptimal situation he's being put in. Where it's like, hey, man, you want to be like the top guy? (laughs) I guess that was kind of Christian last year. Uh, Running backs, Aaron Jones is currently 14th, which, you know, whatever. And that's just his rushing grade, which I don't understand. I mean, it's 16th overall. I mean, what he did in the past game, man, whatever. We don't need to get into that. Assuming he can come back healthy, I have no doubt he'll end up a top five running back again. It's A.J. Dillon that I don't know about. Um, He is down here at 35th right now overall. Blocking, David Bakhtiari, highest pass block grade. So uh, every single finger on my hand crossed that he'll be able to come back. Zach Tom still holding strong as the ninth highest graded pass blocker in the NFL. So we still have two top 10 pass blocking tackles. Again, assuming Bakhtiari comes back and is healthy and can play. As much as I'm disappointed with some of the performances from some of the people, and actually, you know what? I lied. That's not tackles. That's offensive line overall. If we're just looking at tackles, um, it's actually number one and number five. I apologize for lying to you. Um, I'm not going to bother looking at the rest of the offensive linemen because they're not going to rank anywhere relevant. As far as defense, uh, uh, of across every single defender in the NFL, that's every single position, Quay Walker is the 18th highest graded defender in the entire NFL. He is the third highest graded linebacker with an 88.8 grade. Demario Davis in New Orleans and Matt Milano in Buffalo are the only two that are graded higher. And he is the highest graded linebacker as far as coverage grade, which is what he really excelled at last year. So I'm, I mean, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Things can change quickly as we know, but I'm, I'm happy with Quay right now. I mean, I think I kind of discovered a little bit later that actually he had a decent year last year when I looked at, you know, his coverage. Um, you know, he had a 52 overall grade, but that was largely because his run defense really suffered. He had a 35 run defense grade, but he had a 71 coverage grade. That's solid. Um, now we're looking at it, he has a 91 coverage grade, which is a big jump from his 71. He's already making an impact as a pass rusher. His run defense is, is already better than last year. And although, you know, he had a 61 this grade, I mean, he hasn't had a single, the only bad grade he has is week one, he had a 41 tackling grade, and that's because of one missed tackle. That's it. That's the whole thing. He has an 88.8 grade. He has a, a 67 run defense grade, a 75 tackling grade with uh, <laughs> 13 tackles, 10 assists, and one miss, a 64 pass rush grade with four pressures on just five attempts, and a 91 coverage grade. It's two games, but you cannot ask for anything better than that. I mean, just flat out. 
And then on top of that, Devondre Campbell's 15th in, in terms of his coverage grade. 29th overall, which is still fine. I mean, you know, there's there's only 32 number one uh, linebackers, and we have two of them. But um, on the interior, highest graded player is Kenny Clark with a 69.2 grade. Obviously, that's not anybody's favorite statistic. However, he is tied for the second most pressures among defensive tackles. Uh, Jonathan Taylor and Kenny Clark both have 10. Jalen Carter is actually leading the NFL, freaking craziness, with 11. Um, but Kenny of that group is the only one with two sacks. In fact, he's also second in sacks behind only Osa Odigazua um, in um, Dallas. And by the way, Jalen Carter had eight week one, eight pressures in a sack. He only had three pressures and no sack in this last game. I'm not saying he's not going to be a dog, but I just expect those numbers to, that average to plummet a little bit. And then if we look at pass rush grades, Kenny Clark is the ninth highest. Devontae Wyatt is 28th. Colby Wooden is 34th. TJ Slayton is 36th. So we have four defensive tackles in the top 36 as far as pass rush goes, which is, again, I feel like what we're trying to build. Um, edge rushers, a lot of really, really high grades. Um, and a lot of these guys, actually, when you look at grades, it's because of some of them are just week one. Um, so some of that probably will start to come down after a single week, but all that said, Rashawn Gary is 27th. Preston Smith is 33rd. Again, that's two number ones. If you look at pass rush grade, actually, surprisingly, Lucas Van Ness is the highest at 33rd overall with a 69.5. And then when you look at production, um, shockingly, Rashawn Gary has the 11th most pressures in the entire NFL with just 25 attempts. That's so stupid. The next lowest I mean, Uche has 32, which is also extremely low. But, I mean, a lot of these guys, it's it's Drake Jackson also has eight. He has 61 pressure uh, pass rush attempts. After that, Preston Smith ranks uh, tied for 31st with um, six pressures. Lucas Van Ness tied for 42nd with five pressures. It's just too bad Rashawn couldn't be playing at, at full strength because at the rate he's going, he'd clearly be near the top. But it is what it is. We're doing all right. Uh, corners, Razul Douglas is tied with Sauce Gardner for 17th. I don't think you can complain about that, and that's his overall grade. Um, and he's actually ahead of Sauce in terms of his coverage grade. He is ranked 8th, tied with Darius Williams with a 79.4 coverage grade. So uh, Razul obviously didn't have the greatest game in the world, but basically a 70 this week and a 76 last week. So, I mean, that's that's a solid performance. In fact, his overall grade, is he's on track right now to have the highest grade he's ever had overall highest run defense grade highest tackling grade and highest coverage grade see there's a lot of nice little gems in here mixed in with some of the disappointments uh one of which being jair alexander who ranks 42nd right now in terms of his coverage grade uh obviously that's not going to fly he's outside of the top 50 in terms of his overall grade actually he he's tied for 50th with dj turner but you know, he had a good week one, 70.7 grade, 75 coverage grade. Let's just hope that this was just a down game and he bounces back and everything will be fine. And then as far as safeties, again, Savage had a bad week, but he's still hanging strong at 48th, which under ordinary circumstances we would not be happy with. But all things considered that it's Darnell Savage, I will uh, I will allow it. <laughs> Where the heck is Rudy Ford? There he is, 67th for Rudy Ford. So they're... they're slowly drifting to the bottom before they were both doing good now we've got rudy ford just about 15 spots let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen spots from the bottom hilariously three of the bottom four safeties are from seattle so if we thought we had a bad good lord all three by the way have played more than 100 snaps so that's not anything minor that's that's three actual starters that are in the bottom three that's crazy Special teamers, uh, highest grade right now is Jonathan Owens, who is ranked 31st among all special teamers, and there's probably about 1,000 of them. So 31st is quite good with a 77.7 grade. And then our boy Anders Carlson is uh, the 10th highest graded kicker. So uh, everybody that we didn't think would step up is seems to be uh, doing really well. Everybody that we thought would step up basically is not. So well done. Well done, world. <laughs> Whatever. It, it's two weeks. These things will balance out. And, you know, it, it, I shouldn't even say that because that's not true. Did things balance out last year? No, they never balanced out. We started off getting obliterated week one and thinking like, okay, here we go, this bull crap again, but we'll be fine. And then things continued and it's like something doesn't seem fine, but 
I don't know exactly what the heck is going on. Like we're winning, but we still look bad. And then sometimes we're not winning and that sucks. And then some of those teams start actually looking good. And it's like, well, maybe we lost because those teams are good. And then it turns out they weren't good. And then we thought we were done and the season was over. And then suddenly the offense got good. And it's like, hey, maybe we can be good. And then after the bye week, like the defense got good. And it's like, dude, we got a good offense and a good defense. This is kind of crazy. Maybe we go on a little bit of a run here. And then we play Detroit and we just decide, no, never mind. We suck. We don't feel like it. So, yeah. Actually, forget it. Nothing's going to level out. Things are just going to be random and change constantly. And that's just how it's going to go. So, you're welcome. (laughs) Anyways, I'm out of here. That's your PFF update for the day. (laughs) 